Thanks, church. You guys can take your seats. Thank you, band. Beautiful. Hi, church. How are we? That's fantastic. Thanks for coming out tonight. I, uh, I love a good mission Sunday, Palm Sunday. Everything's in our favor. It's a great Sunday to be in church. I'm really, really glad you came. My name's Callum. Um, for anyone who doesn't know me, nice to meet you. It's, um, it's my really, really big um, honor and uh, privilege to be sharing the word with you tonight. Um, so before we get started, uh, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are here, Lord. Thank you that you're moving, Lord. Lord, tonight as we come around the word, Lord, I just pray that you guide us through it, word, uh, Lord. Open, open it up to us, Lord. Open yourself up to us, Lord. Lord, let us see things in, in the word fresh tonight, Lord. Show us things afresh. Lord, I pray that as I speak tonight, that you speak through me, Lord, and that you touch all of our hearts through what we read in your word tonight. In your name, amen. Amen. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, church, tonight our theme for this year is a king and a cause, and I really, really love that theme. And I believe that when Jesus speaks in the Bible of what the greatest commandment is, I believe that he sums up our theme for this year, a king and a cause, perfectly. I believe that he perfectly encapsulates it. He talks about the greatest commandment in Matthew 22, 22 36 to 40. And in this verse, Jesus is asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. There it is. The two greatest commandments, a king and a cause. Love the Lord your God. Follow the king. Surrender to the king. Make God your king. However you want to word it, just wind up with God as your king. With all your heart, mind and soul. Follow the king with every aspect of your life. Invite him to lead it. And secondly, love your neighbor, the cause. Directly following our relationship with God, Jesus turns to our relationship with others. How we treat and act towards others is so important to our King. He includes it hand in hand with our love for Him. If you've ever been on a plane in your life, I was uh, just in Queensland, great family holiday, and I was coming back on the plane. If you've ever been on a plane, you've heard the words, secure your own mask first, then help others when they're doing a little safety demonstration. I think that's similar to what Jesus is saying here. Follow the king and from that flows the cause. And my message tonight comes secondary to any teaching that has been given in this house or others on entering into the most amazing life-changing thing in the world, which is a personal relationship with God, the king. But today I'd love to focus on the cause because the Bible is clear as we've read that after the greatest commandment we have ever received comes another, and it is simple and clear. Others. Love your neighbors. Secure your own mask first, then please promptly turn your attention to others. We are called to love others. It's certainly nothing groundbreaking. If you've been around church long enough, this is, this is not um, fresh church news. But knowing we are called to love others and how we love others are two very different things. And tonight I'd like to focus on how the Bible shows us to love and treat others. 
Philippians 2 is a great place to start on the subject of others. So we'll spend some time looking at that chapter and it begins, it should be on the screen, perfect. Philippians 2, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united uh, with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. I love that. In those first five verses, we read guidance from Paul who wrote this letter in how to treat others. He says that since we have been united with Christ, our treatment of others should reflect his treatment and love of all of us. We should not only share the actions of Christ, but we should share the mindset of Christ as well. He continues in describing Jesus' love for us in verse 6, where he says, "...who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing." By taking the very nature of a servant and being, in, and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by, uh, by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It's here where Paul begins to outline exactly how Jesus loved others. Jesus is our King. He's almighty. He has all the power over earth, dominion over our universe, and yet we read here that he made himself a servant to his people. Mark 10.45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to show us the heart of Father God by serving us. It's clear that Jesus took the attitude of a servant throughout his time on earth, and that we should do the same. Having the power to arrive on earth in any manner he liked, with any degree of power that he might like, at the time when the message of salvation needed to be brought to us and his people, God chose to send his son not as a figure of power in the physical sense, but taking on the humility of a servant. Now, of course, Jesus didn't serve the will and request of any person that he came across on the street on earth merely to please them. That's not what the Bible's talking about here, and we're not called to do that either. Jesus was serving the will of God. As we, real, as we read in Philippians, he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. This shows us that he was serving God's will. Jesus was not just obedient to anything and anyone, he was obedient to God's specific plan. And through God's plan for humanity, we know that he was serving us. We know that he was serving his people. And the best way to find out how we can love and treat others, or the best way to find out how we can do anything really, is to look at the life of Jesus. How did Jesus treat those around him? We know that we should treat others like Jesus treated others, but how did Jesus treat those around him? How did he respond to others, speak to them? Through Jesus' ministry, we know that Jesus served the people he interacted with physically, meeting needs, healing the sick, and he held these acts in high importance, and we are also called to act in physical service of others. I mean, we just have to look at scriptures like Matthew 25 and countless other places for that. Jesus shows us that it is so important, and it's one of the core focuses of our church, as we've seen in our missions presentation tonight. 
But I think we know that alongside serving physical needs, the truest purpose of Jesus' service to the people of earth was found in his service to our spiritual and our eternal needs. As we read in Philippians, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death. Jesus' ministry was centered around the purpose of bringing the message to his people before sacrificing himself in the greatest act of service ever known. It was in becoming a servant to help others when they needed help and offering the gift of the message of the gospel in his name that Jesus perfectly modeled how we should also love others like him. And just like that, just like how we need to look to Jesus' example in the scripture of how he treated people in the physical sense, it's of such paramount importance that we should also look to his example in the word of how he shared his message, how he loved others, how he introduced people to their spiritual need that they might not even know that they had at the time and offered a way in which they and subsequently all of us could be helped through him. There's a really interesting interaction in Matthew that I feel really tells us a lot about the attitude that Jesus had when he acted towards others, how he treated others and how he shared his message. And I feel like it's a great little reminder that I'd like to spend a little bit of time looking at tonight at how we should also act in bringing Jesus's message to others. It comes in Matthew 8 verses 1 to 4 and it says, when Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. I thought this was really, really interesting this very short interaction comes just after the Sermon of the Mount. It's one of Jesus' most famous sermons. Jesus had been sharing his message and the truth on that mountain, and this man was clearly here to witness that because the Bible tells us that he was part of the crowd that was coming down from the mountain following Jesus. The message of salvation had impacted this man enough to give him faith that Jesus had the power to heal him. The message was delivered to this man that made a way uh, for faith in the power of God. Jesus solidified this by healing the man and then echoing his desire for that order on a much larger scale, where he says, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses command, commanded as a, testimony, as a testimony to them. So Jesus had specific requests for who this man should and shouldn't tell about his miracle. Jesus wants the man on one hand to confirm to the priests that a miracle had been done, but to hide that same fact at the moment from the general public. And the first time I read this, I thought, why would Jesus do that? That seems really, really strange. But what this shows us is that Jesus was intentional, careful even, about the way that he shared his message, the way that he acted and interacted with others. Jesus wanted to build trust in the priests that he was who he said he was because they were so cautious at the time. The priests were so skeptical of Jesus, but the public was a very different situation. Jesus knew that they would jump at the signs of his power because of the way that they chose to interpret the prophecies of his coming in Isaiah. Many Israelites 
thought that the Messiah that would come and was promised in Isaiah would be a warrior, a fighter coming to free them from the oppression that they were facing from Rome. And Jesus knew that. He knew that they would get riled up uh, when they knew that they, they knew his power. And Jesus knew this, and it's written in John 6:15. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Matthew, in his gospel, accounts for multiple times when Jesus actually asked people not to speak about his power after miracles. Matthew 9:30, 12:16, Some actually call this the messianic secret, not because Jesus wanted to keep his message secret is actually the opposite. Jesus wanted to safeguard his message and have his message stay on track and go the distance because he knew that his message wasn't a short-lived fire. It was going to go for the uh, distance of eternity. This message was not to be stifled or muffled by what humans alone thought that his power was designated for at the time. Jesus was clearly wary in, not, in asking people not to tell others about his power at that time. Not that he might be dragged into a war, but that the response to his power from the Israelites at the time would instead of reverence or repentance, would be revolt, would be to start a revolution, surged with a newfound fire in their bellies to free themselves from oppression. But what a waste it would have been to see the power that saw the Son of God rise from the dead and free us from our sins be misinterpreted as firepower, as bringing in the big guns in a very human, very earthly conflict. Jesus knew that he didn't come for that purpose. So he was very considered in the way that his message was brought to the world, the way that he interacted with others. And in all things, we're called to follow Jesus' example. So the scripture shows us that Jesus cares about the way that his followers act in the world. His words influence how his followers should follow him, how we as followers should follow him. We should listen closely to what he says, being careful not to take his word or power out of context to serve our own earthly desires, what we might want, our own search for our own power, but that we should listen closely to what he's saying and act in alignment with that. When many Israelites wanted him to come as a fighter, instead, as we read earlier, Jesus for a moment chose not to act in the full display of kingship we know he holds and instead came to us as a servant messenger, a baby. His message was truth and grace and in both of those things, his message was salvation. If you can indulge me for just a little bit with a little bit of history for a minute or two, I'd like to, to talk for a minute about the Greco-Persian Wars. Now, these were a couple of wars between the, the Persian Empire and Greece. Lots of invasions. Uh, they went for like half a century. We don't need to understand the politics of it or the ins and outs of it all. It's not relevant to what we're speaking about right now. But what I'd like to focus in on is a battle, a very important battle actually, called the Battle of Marathon. And within this Battle of Marathon, the Greeks were very, very outnumbered in defending a coastal plain called Marathon from Persian forces. And really surprisingly, actually, the Greeks, who had much smaller forces, were um, beginning to take some ground back from the Persians. And it's at this stage when an Athenian messenger named, now bear with me here, Phidippides, I think, 
was sent from Athens to the battlefield. Now, these messengers at the time of, uh, of these wars were very important official members of the military who would run between battlefields or cities to deliver correspondence. So Pheidippides was sent from Athens to Marathon. Now, you might be beginning to catch on about why we now call a very, very stupid long run these days a marathon. I don't know why people do that, but that's fine. Um, but actually, it's even worse than that. While many people misunderstand that the distance that he was asked to run from Athens to Marathon is at that battlefield is the distance why, that we've now deemed a marathon, it was actually noted to be six times longer than what a marathon is today. Pheidippides ran, likely for days. We can assume that he wasn't able to run with very much food or water or rest, but he was sent with a message that needed to be delivered. After running what we now know to be probably about 240 kilometres, he stumbled into the chambers of the leaders at that battlefield and told them about his message. He said, Nike, Nike. Now this word, just bear with me again. <laughs> Neni kikium, I think. He said that message before collapsing of exhaustion and actually dying right in the chambers. His, his first words we might be slightly more familiar with. Nike, or Nike, depending on how you want to lead, Arlene, is the Greek word for victory. Another little bit of history for the sports wear enthusiasts. And um, he followed by stating, rejoice, we conquer. That's what that third word meant. The Persians had surrendered in that battle and the forces withdrew. Now, you might be sort of like catching my drift here, and the analogy absolutely is not perfect, but I just feel like this situation is so similar to how Jesus is exemplifying through his actions that we, how we should love and treat others in our world. We are not called to fight over earthly things, for earthly things, or to fight with the people of our world, but we are called to the battlefields where they are. We're still called to the front lines, but it's just not to fight. We are called to the front lines and the battlefields to deliver a simple message. Victory. Not from one side or another on earth, but by the blood of Jesus. He was a carrier of that message. Careful not to get caught in temporal battles on earth. And we are called to love others by acting as he did as a messenger of the most important news anyone could ever receive, victory for all who would accept it. Because there are people across the world and all around us that are in battles that they do not need to be in. Eternal bloodshed that could maybe, just maybe be stopped if we would stop fighting ourselves and choose instead to become messengers of the news that we have been given. When the world is fighting battles for earthly things, we have been asked, sent, not to join the fight, but to proclaim a message of victory. Victory in salvation, hope and truth. On the surface, this could seem like a bit more of a passive word. Don't fight, just bring a message. But being a messenger is a fight of a completely different kind. Please don't get that mistaken. Pheidippides laid on the floor of those chambers because he gave his life to be a messenger. Our own king hung on a cross to make the message we have been given possible. We sung tonight, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is power alone in the message of Jesus. The people of Israel 
would have known other examples of kingdoms that were freed or won on the force of battle and physical power. They were living within one. They would have heard stories of other kings who secured and expanded their kingdoms through the use of force, but our God is not like other kings, and they were yet to know that. God wasn't coming just to secure a border or expand a territory or even to free a people in the earthly sense. He was coming to free all in the spiritual world. His battle would take him to earth, but it would not be fought on it. It is fought in the hearts of those who hear his message and witness the effect it has on their lives and the lives of those around them. It would have been absolutely no problem for God to send that worry that the Israelites were waiting for. Exactly the person that they thought was needed. We know that God can do anything. But instead of sending that quick fix for one group, for one moment in history, he used his son, his only son, to send a message instead. A message of salvation. And that message is a message that he's passed on to us as our cause to carry also. I'll call the band up now. How easy is it to think that revolting against Rome or whatever version of that is fixated by us as humans at any given time is what God, God has called us to do. When instead we are called to live like Christ, to see the bigger picture, we should not be concerned with making life easier for us as Christians. We should be concerned with seeing God touch the hearts of the people we have the ability to share him with. That's his cause. And that's the cause that he's given us. 2 Corinthians 4, 5 says, You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we our, ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. Jesus was a servant for our sake. And now it's our turn to be a servant for his sake. To love others is to bring them the message Jesus has given us. The cause is others, and we can never forget that. We can't become clouded by human desires, whether they might be to completely free ourselves from judgment or oppression, whether our earthly desires, our human desires might be to build and protect the earthly kingdoms that we've made for ourselves in our own lives, our wealth, our comfort, our status. Loving others as God does as Jesus loved others, as he loved us, means humbling ourselves as servants, setting aside the fight for things that the world values and becoming a messenger instead for what he values, the kingdom of God. Let's not get mistaken, as many Israelites did, that God's power serves our earthly needs at our will. He has not come to join our fight he has come with a message to invite you to His. A fight not against the world, but for it. Let's look at Philippians again. It said in verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Tonight, I hope we've been able to take something from the examples of the mindset of Christ. To lead as messengers just as Jesus did to the man with leprosy, allowing the truth of the word to work in that man's life as he sat on that mountain. So that when the time came, 
He would know the power of God. He would have faith in the power of God. But he would also understand the purpose that that power had arrived on earth for. Jesus' two greatest commandments for us were pointing us directly toward a king and a cause. To love God and to love others just as he did. Just as he exemplified for us in his entire life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your example, Lord. We thank you for what you did during your time on earth, Lord. We thank you for your sacrifice over everything, Lord. On this Palm Sunday, we remember the sacrifice that you were about to make. You gave everything. You were a servant when you could have been a king, and then you became a king, Lord. Lord, you died on a cross to give the world a message and to bridge the gap between us and God, which we could have never, ever crossed, Lord. You humbled yourself to that level so that you could save us, Lord. Lord, help us and guide us in our own lives so that we might never forget that and that we would also become servants, Lord, just as you commanded to you and to those around us, Lord. Help us serve those around us, not only physically, Lord, but also spiritually. Help us recognize the needs of others all over the world and in our communities and in our lives and in our families, Lord, that need you, that need a message. Help us not get caught up in temporal fights and battles that we think are of importance here on earth, Lord. Let us always remind, remind us ourselves of the way that you brought your message not getting involved in temporal fights, but always focused on the eternal message of salvation, of truth and grace that saves our world, Lord. In your holy and precious name, amen.